Psalm 62, verse 11. And again, we are speaking of God's omnipotence. In Psalm 62, 11, it says this. It says, once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Power belongs to God. Now, how often do we think about the attribute of the power of God and God's omnipotence. How often do we think about that? If someone says that God is all powerful, then we may have the reaction or response to the effect of, of course he is because he's God. Right. Or how could he not be? But how often do we actually contemplate God's power, especially when it comes to our everyday lives? Do we truly operate as if God is omnipotent. If you believe that God is all powerful, do you order your life in that way? Or do you make your way through life on your own strength? We as believers have the awesome privilege of drawing from the power of God in our lives. In fact, there is not a being on this earth that has power, which has not been given to them by God. So for us as children of God, we should be sure to use the power that God has given to us for his glory. Right. The songs that we sing out to the Lord oftentimes speak of the power of God. The song Mighty to Save, for example, the lyrics to that song, it says, Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Now, sorry if you're disappointed that I didn't sing that to you. But see, most of us have heard that song and have likely at some point sang the lyrics to that song. Right. But were the lyrics truly considered or was the song singing by rote? Was it done by rote? Honestly, if you consider the lyrics, this is a song about God being able to take a dead sinner regenerate their heart and make them alive in Christ whenever they repent and believe God by his power. He he restrained his power through justice to destroy you, to destroy me for the most minor infraction of sin against him and he made you and me brand new through faith in Christ. See, that song and many songs that we sing pertaining to the power of God, do we truly think about the lyrics that we are singing? It is a song about power displayed by Christ through the resurrection from the dead. He conquered sin and death. Through the power of God, do we consider these things? These are things that we want to think about when it comes to the omnipotence of God. 
Now, as we said in earlier study sessions, recognizing who God is leads to a greater worshiping of him for how awesome he is. A high level of theology leads to a high level of doxology. The more we learn about God, the more we know about God, the greater our worship to God should be. When we're speaking of his power, it should be no less. And all of his other attributes that we have talked about to this point and that we will talk about to the conclusion of uh, the study should lead us to worship God in a better manner than we usually do. We should really consider, you know, it's not just worshiping him on Sunday mornings, but in our lives every day. We are to worship God with our lives. And the more that we know about him through his word and actually getting into his word and finding out truly who God is, it is going to lead us to worship him even more. Sometimes even when we are studying about who God is, we are going to be driven to tears. You know, that is just how real God is. Speaking of uh, on the uh, subject of omnipotence. So whenever you take a, a trip to the beach, do you ever stop and think of how awesome the power of God is? Now, sure, it, it's good to go to the beach and to relax and lounge in the sand, enjoy the water. All of those things that you do to enjoy yourself while you are there at the beach is Good. That's all good. We should enjoy God's creation. However, did you ever look out at the water and observe the waves, the waves rising up and then crashing down over and over again? And then consider the fact that it is God who is controlling them, displaying his power over creation. Is that something that you have ever done. See, this is God's omnipotence. It is his power. It is him showing that he is in control. Let's read Job chapter 38 verses 10 and 11. Job 38 verses 10 and 11. Starting in uh, starting in verse 10, Job 38, verse 10 and 11, speaking of the sea, he said, and I placed boundaries on it and set a bolt and doors. And I said, thus far you shall come, but no farther. And here shall your proud waves stop. See, this is showing God's power over creation. He speaks and tells the waves to go no further. Each and every time that the water washes onto the shore, it takes its command from almighty God as to how far on the shore it should go. Every time, how far it should travel up the shore. Do you ever think about that? And we should not begin to think for a minute that God does not care 
about these things. And if you do have that thought, I ask you just to think a little harder as to what would happen if God would take his eye off of things like that, like the control of the ocean and the sea and river waters for just a moment. What would happen if God took his eye off of it? Can you imagine the disaster? Even considering the flood in the days of Noah, even how catastrophic that was. It was not God taking his hand of control off. But see, through his power, all of mankind, save Noah and his family, was destroyed. Along with everything that walked upon the earth, God, by his power, controlled even that. Do we see the omnipotence of God? Do we appreciate his power? You know, and and thinking of something like that, God acting in his wrath, even with the flood and he controlled it. It did not get out of control. It was not beyond his reach, but it was his wrath and his power that was displayed. And we should even consider how much now God, by his power, holds back and restrains whenever we consider the evils that take place in this world. We consider natural disasters, floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, things like that. When we look at them, they may give us pause and make us consider the power of God. And yes, it is a display of his power. However, these things as well show how much of God's power is hidden from us. God's power is it's it's not limited to his actions. Rather, his actions show us but a glimpse of his power, of the power of God. Now, God and power also are synonymous, inseparable, so much so that God is referred to as power in Scripture. Let's take a look at Mark chapter 14, verses 60 through 62, and then also chapter 16, verse 19. Mark chapter 14, verses 60 through 62, and chapter 16, verse 19. So Mark 14, starting in verse 60, it says this, it says the high priest stood up and came forward and questioned Jesus, saying, do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer again. The high priest was questioning him and saying to him, are you the Christ? the son of the blessed one. And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Chapter 16, verse 19. 
says this. It says, so then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So we see God and power being synonymous, being inseparable at the right hand of power, the right hand of God. See, God is power. That is his essence. So we have to consider then what is God's power? What is God's power? So one, it is his strength to act. It is his strength to act. God has both ability and authority to act. God does not have to gain strength to perform one of his mighty acts. Why? For he is all powerful. God does not depend on anything to show his power. He does not need permission to act because he has all authority. And on top of that, when he acts, it is always the right thing to do. See, he acts according to his will. There is no abuse of power with God. No accusation can be made against him for acting improperly. He acts according to his will perfectly. Everything that he does is good. God's power is both absolute and ordinate. Absolute power speaks of all that he might do, but has not determined to do. That's it. His absolute power speaks of all that he might do, but has not determined to do. God's ordinate power speaks of all he has decreed to do. So these are all things that will happen according to his will. Absolute power, for example, could have kept Adam from sin because God is powerful enough to restrain us, to keep us from sin. There was never a time when Satan was more powerful than God in order to cause someone to sin over God's power to restrain that sin. God is the authority there. Nor was there ever a time when man was stronger than God in their determination to sin over God's power to restrain them from that sin. See, only God's power is absolute. The fate of Satan and impenitent man is set and is irreversible because God is more powerful. But see, even more. And <clears throat> now, you know what? I'll save that until later. Just more on this same point. But turn with me to Matthew chapter 26, verses 53 and 54. Matthew 26, verses 53 and 54.
Starting in verse 53, Matthew 26, 53 and 54, it says, Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled, which say that it must happen this way? See, God's absolute power could have sent 12 legions of angels to the aid of of Christ, but his ordinate power, which is according to his will, was to not keep Adam from sin and also to not send those 12 legions of angels to the aid of Christ. Why? Because God had willed already for something else to happen, for the scriptures to be fulfilled. But that does not say that God is not powerful enough to do those things, right? His absolute power and his ordinate power. Any questions? Are we are you clear there or, or any questions regarding that? All good? All right. So God, he works all things according to the power of his will. Ephesians 1:11 tells us. Psalm 115, verse 3, it says this. You can write it down. Psalm 115, 3, it says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. A quote from Stephen Sharnock says this. He says, His will orders, his wisdom guides, and his power accomplishes his will orders his wisdom guides and his power accomplishes God's power is again essential to who he is he does not need means by which to act all his power is contained within himself human beings however you and I need means by which to act The mightiest man in this world pales in comparison in strength to God. And even that man depends on God's power. I don't know if you all are familiar with the strongest man competitions, you know, and all of those those things that used to take place before, you know, toxic masculinity, you know, and they had to ban it. But (laughs) even those things, those um, competitions where you would see them lifting up boulders and pulling 18 wheelers and running with large obstacles on their back racing the strength of man i think flex probably did something like that he's laughing (laughs) but that shows the, the strength the physical strength of man but guess what even the strongest of man of men draw from the power of god there is no power that anyone has that does not come first from God. God's power is infinite, right? God is infinite. His power is infinite. There is nothing that is too hard for God. Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 17 tells us, Jeremiah 32, 17. 
It says, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing at all is too hard for God. God's power, it never diminishes. See, he never he never tires. He never gets weak, never needs to recuperate. It is a perfect power that is within God. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, it says, do you not know, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not come, become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. So God's power never diminishes. He never tires. He never gets weak, never needs to recuperate. In all of his power, there are some things that God cannot do. What are some of those things? What do you think are some of the things that God cannot do? What is the first thing that comes to your mind? He cannot what? He cannot lie. Right. What else? He cannot sin. That's right. That's right. Those are two great answers and um, things that I have here. So I'm just going to let you guys finish up. With the Bible study, right? <laughs> no, but God, he he cannot lie. He, he, he cannot sin. He cannot contradict his own essence. So who we say God is, who his word more um, better, who his word says he is, he cannot contradict his own essence. Uh, He cannot deny himself. These are things that God cannot do. Titus chapter one, verse two. Titus chapter one, verse two, it says, oh, I'll start, actually start at verse one. It says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God who cannot what lie promised long ages ago. So God cannot lie. Hebrews chapter six. Verse 18. It says so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. So God cannot lie. So second Timothy chapter two, verse 13. That's another one that you can write down uh, for for later. So any questions?
thus far. Any comments? Second Timothy two what? Eighteen. Thirteen. Oh, okay. 10-4. Yep. Did you pull it up? 10-4, yep. Yeah, you want to read it since you have it? If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. God cannot deny himself. Thank you. All right. So, how do we know that God is all-powerful? How do we know God is all-powerful? A few things that we'll look at. So, In comparison to man and all created things, all created beings, their power points to their creator's power. Power belongs to God. There is not a person or thing that possesses power that does not derive that power from God. Right. God is perfect. If there were to be any sort of weakness In God, any deficiency in strength, he would not be perfect. He would be less than perfect because he would be finite. If God were not all powerful, then we would have to think that there would be some being more powerful than him. Right. But there is not. So this points to proof. That God is all powerful. He is perfect. And in order for him to be perfect in this attribute, there can be no lack of power in God. The miracles of God. These also prove that God is all powerful. So what what is a miracle? And we talked about it. A little bit, I think, a few weeks ago. Uh, But what is a miracle? So definition, according to Noah Webster, who was a Christian, says this. It says a miracle is an event or effect contrary to the established constitution and course of things or a deviation from the known laws of nature. It is a supernatural event. Miracles can be wrought only by almighty power as when as when Christ healed lepers, saying, I will be thou clean or calmed the tempest, saying, peace, be still. So that is that's the the definition of a miracle right from Noah Webster's dictionary. That's. By the way, a dictionary that I would uh, recommend to all of you. You know, it, it's um, again, like I said, Noah Webster was a Christian. Many scripture references in his definitions that he gives in uh, in the dictionary. And, you know, you think of things today and how everything is digital. And it's great that we have everything <coughs> digitally. But there's also the power to change the true meaning of the definition. This uh, this dictionary was from 1828, you know, and if you can get your hands on a copy of it, please do. It's, it's really good. But that is a, uh, a definition of a miracle, uh, according to what Noah Webster had to say. And if you think about that, you know, with 
the uh, lepers and everything that they needed to go through, you know, being removed from everyone else outside of the camp, everything that needed to happen for them to be able to come back. And Jesus touches the leper and heals them, tells them that they are clean power. That's power. That is a miracle, but that is power. And then also how he calmed the raging sea. He says, peace, be still. That speaks to God's power, right? The greatest miracle demonstrates only a small part of his might, though. The greatest miracle. Again, like I said, with the, the natural disasters, yes, that does show God's power. But then we see how much is hidden as well in his power. We see God's power in creation. Right. Genesis chapter one, verse one. What does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created all things out of nothing. Ex nihilo, out of nothing or from nothing is what that means. Any matter that ever existed is matter which God made. There is nothing that came into existence apart from God. Another quote, it says the distance between nothing and something between not being and being is immeasurable. Stand only by the almighty God. And that's something that we have to remember, you know, when, when speaking of God, there is still you know, there is mystery that is out there with God. We are not going to know all things about him, all the questions that we have, all of the answers that we want. Like right now, we're not going to have them. There is still mystery with God, and it should cause us to be in awe of who God truly is. This quote, it goes on to say about man, the best that man can do is rearrange matter. He never creates it. That's all he can do. Rearrange it. He does not create it. What does that point to? The power of God. Right. Psalm 33, verse nine, it says this. It says, for he spoke. And it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. See, by a simple act of his will, faster than we can form a thought, God spoke and the universe came to be. We fumble over our thoughts, right? You know, God doesn't fumble over anything. And we look at creation. God spoke and it came to to be power belongs to God. God has spoken once. God has spoken twice. Have I heard him? Power belongs to God. How many of us, when we speak once, 
get the results that we want. You have kids? <laughs> How many of us speak once and accomplish what we want to be done? You know, this just speaks to the power of God, right? God creates, and it is God who sustains his creation. God creates, and it is God who sustains his creation. If God did not preserve everything that he created, then all things created would what? They would cease to be. There wouldn't be anything, right? God is intimately involved in all that he has created. This runs contrary to deism. And deism is the view that God has taken all creation, wound it up like a clock, set it free. He has nothing to do with it from a supernatural standpoint, has nothing to do with it. But this is not true of who God is. That's something deism was something that the founding fathers, I believe, they believed in deism, you know, but this is not true of who God is, for it is God who sustains his creation. Right. He sustains you. He sustains me. He sustains everything that has been created. It's sustained by almighty God in natural government. The God who creates all things by necessity preserves all things. So that's God's uh, God's power in, in natural government. What does God's power look like in moral government? And again, these are just things. This is listen. We could go weeks on on the power of God. We're just picking out some things and talking about them. Pointing back to God. But moral government, what does God's power look like pertaining to moral government? So he restrains the power of the devil. Right. God restrains the power of the devil. A lot of people like to use the term hell on earth. Sometimes when you share the gospel with people, they like to say they don't believe in a final hell that the Lord sends people to. They'll use the argument that things are so bad on earth or that circumstances in their lives are so bad that this is actual hell right now that they are experiencing. And when they die, they assume that they're going to go straight to heaven because they suffered hell here on this earth. That in itself is a trick of the devil. For if God did not restrain the power of the devil, earth would seemingly be turned into hell. Seemingly. For the devil would be running loose. He roams about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In Luke twenty two thirty one, we see that he desired to sift Peter like wheat. 
Satan wanted to destroy him. See, if he was not bound by the power of God, not only would he have destroyed him, he would destroy you as well. But see, God does not allow it. Why? Because God is greater. God has all power. Hell is not on earth. Far from it. And we've all heard the term that people have said, and it is true that for a believer, this is all the hell that we will experience. But to those who say that hell is on earth and that what they are going through is hell and they will receive heaven as a result of it, they're missing the fact that God's wrath is actively poured out on those who are in hell. God's wrath for sinners, impenitent sinners, before they come to Christ, they are reaping wrath upon wrath upon wrath for the day of judgment, right? For the day of wrath, where if they do not repent of sin and trust in Christ, What's going to happen? All of that wrath that God restrained by his power is going to open up. The floodgates are going to open up and his wrath is going to be poured out mercilessly. So it is a lie. It is a trick of the devil that says hell is on earth. You know, no, we should refute that always be ready to refute that argument because it is not true it is a it is a trick of the enemy in the end we know what's going to happen so god will cast satan and all impenitent sinners into the final lake of fire where god's Power will be displayed through his eternal wrath and all for his glory. He's all powerful. He's in control of all things. God restrains the evil of man. So although this world seems like a dark place because the corruption of evil mankind, it could for sure be worse. If God did not, by his power, restrain the evil of man. If God did not restrain evil, we would all be trying to tear each other to shreds. Not in this room, though, right? If so, I'm grabbing my coat and I'm out here. (laughs) But that just speaks to the power of God to restrain evil. God restrains the evil in man's heart. Man apart from God is horrible, but could even be worse than he is now. Think about it. Just when you think man has reached rock bottom in terms of depravity, something happens and you see that the bottom has dropped out 
once again. And man has sunk into a new low. What stops that perpetual plunge, though it seems to continue on? What stops it? The power of God. Just think if every man was set free to do everything that they wanted to do without consequence, without the restraints of God, it would be horrible. Horrible. See, the power of God restrains. That's God's power in moral government. What does God's power look like pertaining to gracious government? Gracious government. God preserves his elect. Okay. Throughout all of history, there have been enemies of God's elect. However, the Lord has preserved his elect for his purposes. As he preserved Israel against Pharaoh, he still preserves his elect today, his elect ones today. Another quote says this. It says God delights to use small means to bring his governing purposes to pass, such as a squadron of lice to humble Pharaoh or a squadron of 300 to defeat the Midianite host. Nothing is so small that God cannot do great things with it. See, this is something that we should keep in mind whenever we go out to fight the fight that the Lord has set before us to take part in the battles of the day. Take abortion, for instance, in comparison to the forces of evil that are out there. The my body, my choice, the women's reproductive health, you know, pro choice to murder a child. In comparison to the forces of evil, there is a small number who are set like flint to see the evil of abortion ended. And by the power of God, it will be made a footstool under the feet of Christ. So the number, the small number of people who are set on seeing abortion ended and are fighting the fight that God has set before them should take courage because it is God's power. It does not matter the number of people. God uses small things to accomplish his purpose, and that should give us hope. That should fuel us, spur us on to do what God has called us to do without fear. God's power in redemption. And I know I'm hitting you with a lot of quotes uh, tonight, but they're they they hit the mark here. Um, <clears throat> this, again, is Stephen Charnock. He says how much easier it would have been for God to create a new world than restore a broken one. How much easier it would have been for God to create a new world than restore a broken one. That tells us how far apart from God we truly are. 
our state before God, before we are regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. It shows how far apart from God we truly are. It would have been easier for God to create a new world than to restore a broken one. This speaks to the power of God in the miracle of salvation. See, man is such an enemy of God and is so dead set against him that it takes the miraculous power of God to save a sinner from eternal destruction. See, this is not something that someone can just make up their mind one day. I'm just going to follow Jesus on their own. It does not happen. Man is dead in trespasses and sin, dead to spiritual things, hates God, is an enemy of God. They cannot just one day wake up and decide that Jesus is my choice. No, they hate him. And if they had the chance, they would kill him again. But he lives forever. But see, it is God's miraculous power that saves sinners from eternal destruction. That's why we should rejoice over our salvation. Thank God for our salvation, which is really his salvation, not ours. But then when another sinner comes to God as the angels rejoice, so should we. We should rejoice as well because we know that without the power of God, this person would have gone to eternal destruction. But it is his power. Even when preaching the gospel, that is something that must be done through the power of God. Sharing the gospel with people, standing up and preaching the gospel should never be done in our own power. That is something that is it is the power of God, not our own. So even when we stand up and we try to witness to somebody and we fumble over the words and think that we don't say the right thing, the power is not in our words. It is in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Share it. Don't be ashamed of it. Tell the world about Jesus Christ. Leave the results to him. He is mighty to save. See, it is Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, who took on flesh and blood. He lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross, taking on the full wrath of God for sin, was buried and raised by the infinite power of God from the dead. Ephesians chapter one, verses 18 through 19. And this is a beautiful, beautiful prayer that we can pray for each other. You know, when you don't know what to pray for someone, pray this prayer right here. And we can read down to verse 23. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches 
of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ was raised by the infinite power of God from the dead. Again, the preaching of the gospel must be done through the power of God. In the application of redemption, we see the awesome power of God. Conversion is compared to creation, birth, and resurrection. Conversion is a radical transformation in which the heart of man is turned against all its natural inclinations. It is a radical transformation in which the heart of man is turned against all its natural inclinations. Another quote, it says this from Stephen Sharnock. It says this, it says, it would be easier to turn a fly into an eagle than to turn a sinner into a saint. But God works mightily to draw sinners to himself. John 644 tells us he dispossesses man of his self-esteem, hurls down his pride, subdues his passions and plants the fear of God where there was only contempt makes him eager to serve his new master and grants desires for God's honor. No power less than divine can separate our heart from the world. How many doors must omnipotence break through to rescue us from ourselves? The power is so efficacious that nothing can stop it. Yet it is so sweet that none did ever complain of it. Thank God for his power in salvation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And we think about that new creation Think about the fellowship that Adam had with God in the garden and that perfect communion with God that was shattered by sin. It was a great relationship. But when the Bible says that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, this creation that God makes us, we are brand new. And this creation goes beyond what Adam was in the garden. 
It is a creation that gives us eternal life. We know that whenever we die, this physical body dies, that we are going to be with Christ forever. Forever in perfect communion. We know that the physical body is going to be resurrected and our soul and our glorified body will meet and we will be in eternity with God without sin. No sin at all. No capacity for it. A new creation. God's power is shown in the preserving of his saints. Jude, the book of Jude, verses 24 and 25, it says this. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. How could that be done without the power of? Of God, we cannot do it. We cannot do it. Our salvation is secured by the power of God. We will not slip from his grip of salvation. Now, have any of you seen the movie Superman? Especially the 1978 version of Superman. <laughs> All right, I'll take that as a no. Or just some of you just don't want to, you know, <laughs> don't want to date yourself. Listen, I was born in 78, so, you know. <laughs> well, listen, in that movie... There was a scene where Lois Lane, she was going to get into a, hel a helicopter on assignment for something. And the helicopter started to take off off the top of a building. The helicopter got stuck in some of the wires that were on top of the building, spinning out of control, all kinds of crazy things. It ends up right on the edge of a building. You know, drama, 1978 graphics don't do it any justice, but... The helicopter was on the side of the building and she's doing everything that she can to stay alive, to stay in there, grabbing at everything she can. I think she grabbed for the walkie talkie that was in there and hanging on that wire, hanging on the seatbelt that was in there. Of course, the, the pilot passed out or died or whatever happened to him. So he was of no help. But it's leaning over and the door swings open from the helicopter and she's holding on, holding on for dear life. And finally, slips off, lets go. Clark Kent in 
Clark Kent fashion, comes walking out of the building unsuspecting, picks up something off the ground that may have been hers that fell out of the helicopter. He looks up, realizes what's going on, runs to the phone booth. It's too open. He can't do that. So he goes to the revolving doors, spins around real fast in the doors. Out comes Superman from the doors. He somebody said something to him about the way that he was dressed. Nice suit, you know, and he says, wait a minute, I have something to do, you know, and then he runs and jumps in the air, starts flying up, going up, 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 up. Lois Lane is coming down. He grabs her. He says, I got you. Immediately, she says, you got me. Who's got you? Now, think about that. In terms of our salvation, God is not to be compared to any superhero that is out there. They do not compare at all. But when we think in terms of salvation and us holding on to our salvation, we can't because why? It's not ours. And we are in the hand of God, the all-powerful one. He has us, and he will not let us go. Some further things to consider as we start to wind up here. Jesus Christ is all-powerful, and only God is all-powerful, right? By implication, this means what? That Jesus must be God. John 5, 19, whenever he was on this earth, Christ said that whatever he sees the father doing, he himself does. Now, this was not as a co-worker or a partner in a business. No, but this is him being one with God in essence. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God. By Christ, the worlds were made. Hebrews chapter one, verse two tells us, and the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the works of his hands. Hebrews 1.10 says, so Jesus Christ is all powerful. He is God. Colossians chapter one, Verse 16. Starting, let's start in verse 15. It says this, Colossians 1, 15 and 16. It says this, it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus Christ is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is active in creation. He's active in creation. Genesis chapter 1 Verse two, it says the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters active in creation. When it comes to 
conversion. The Holy Spirit is active in conversion. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse five, it says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is active in conversion. He is active in resurrection. He is active in resurrection. Turn to Romans chapter eight, verse 11. Romans chapter eight, verse 11. It says this, it says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. See, all of these things should cause us to worship God in a greater way for he is the almighty God who does not change. Now, some final considerations. Man's sin against God, especially unrepentant security in sin, is an attack on God's attribute of omnipotence. Man's sin against God, especially unrepentant security in sin, is an attack on God's attribute of omnipotence. Does it make God weaker? No, it does not. But when man sins, he imagines himself a match for God. And man is no match for God. When you sin, you say that you know better than God does. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? First Corinthians 10, 22. See, all forms of unbelief assume that God can do no more than we can. He's omnipotent. He is all powerful. All forms of unbelief assume that God can do no more than we can. Now, considering hell. Two attributes of God will shine there. Wrath and power, wrath and power. Romans chapter nine, verse twenty two. It says this, it says, what if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known Endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. God endures with patience, but in the end, for the impenitent sinner, God is going to get glory. His power and wrath will be shown in hell. Man cannot escape the first death and they will not escape the second death either. Because God is all powerful, we should not fear man. Because God is all powerful, we should not fear man. Matthew 10:28 tells us. 
says this. It says, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We should not fear man. We should have that healthy fear of God. Again, we are kept by the power of God. First Peter 1 5, it says, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. See, sometimes in order for us to experience the power of God, we must be brought to the end of ourselves because we fight against God and say that we know better and try to move forward with our plans. And sometimes the Lord has to bring us to the very end of ourselves for us to be able to experience that power that comes from depending on him alone. So what should we do with all of this? Let us learn to trust God fully. Let us learn to trust God fully. Wherever there is lack, may we increase in trust. Pray and ask God to help you trust him more. And that is a prayer that he will answer. Now, there may be circumstances that come in your life that cause you to have to depend on him. But he's answering your prayer. He is pruning you, conforming you to the image of his son. But see, you want to learn to trust him. Isaiah 26, verse four, it says, trust in the Lord forever for in God, the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. Isaiah 26, verse four. We must learn to be humble and Submit to God, as first Peter, chapter five, verse six says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Again, we must learn not to fear man. We must not fear man. Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 15 says this. It says, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. See, this is the, the power and the greatness of God. We are in Christ. We are in the hand of Christ, in the hand of God. He has all power. We must not fear man. <clears throat> We must fear the Lord. Isaiah chapter eight, verse 13. And this is our last scripture for the night. Isaiah chapter eight, verse 13. We must fear the Lord. Isaiah eight thirteen. it says, it is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. And he shall be your fear and he shall be your dread. Final quote for the night. It says, 
We should stand in awe of that power that can destroy us. We should stand in awe of that power that can destroy us. We are to fear him because he can. But bless him because according to his goodness in Christ, he will not. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had together, God, and again. Lord, I pray that this was a fruitful time of discussing your omnipotence. God, help us to learn more about you and your power. We are only scratching the surface when it comes to speaking about your attributes, your perfections. It's only you, God, who are perfect. We are not. You give us your word to help us know more about you and give us instruction for life. And it, it gives us everything that we need to know in terms of salvation. But God, even when we try to describe who you are, we can't find the words to do it because you are infinite. And we know, Lord, that you cannot be exhausted by our words, our imperfect words to describe you, God. But help us, Lord, to learn more about you, to know more about you, to worship you the way that you want to be worshiped, worshiped according to what we know about you. And may our theology increase not only for us to have knowledge for the sake of knowledge, which only puffs up, but God, that we would have knowledge that draws us closer to you as you draw near to us, that knowledge that causes us to go out into this world and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. May your power not be contained in our lives. May we not be restrained from going out and doing the things that you have called for us to do, commanded for us to do. You have made the way for us to go out and do what you have called for us to do. We do not have to fear God, but we know that we will stand and give an account to you for our lives. And may we say that, Lord, Everything that you have set in front of us, Lord, we gave our all to it. But may we not depend on the things that we have done, but on the work that Jesus Christ and him alone has done on our behalf. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.